If you want Jesus to be your vision, let me hear your hands this morning. We're talking about what makes a resilient church. What does a resilient church look like? Because I don't want our church or any church to be stable for a time and then collapse. And the history of churches in America has been just that. There's a time of growth, a time to flourish, then a time of decline and a time of collapse. And I don't believe that is the will of God. I believe that he is building a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And we need to learn what it is that will make us resilient, that will enable us to strive. And that issue of resilience is a huge issue. CEO, um, I'm sorry, Harvard Business School asked the CEO this question. Out of everything, what do you wish you could test for in an interview? Out of everything, what do you wish you could test for? The CEO said that over skill set or gifting, what he wished most he could test for was resilience. Because that's what makes the difference, not just over days, but over decades that we would be resilient. And I really think a scripture that captures that is that if we wait on the Lord, we will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. We'll be able to deal with life's challenges and fly higher through the storm because it's a trial of our faith that is much more precious than gold. He wants us to move forward. So we've talked about that, talked about some things that are not resilient that need to be removed from your life, old ways and commitment to old things. We talked about having an outward focus to see the harvest. We talked about a spirit of generosity. And the third part of resilience that I want to focus our attention on is the concept of a shared vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now that's used over and over for any vision casting service anywhere I've been. Institutionally, whether it's a plan for fundraising, we always go to that verse. And I hope to clarify that and tear down some misconceptions and reapply what it means to have vision. Much is said in Christian circles about the need for a shared vision. And I understand that the church isn't just a gathering of people to pray, but we're also a nonprofit corporation. There are good business practices that churches need to engage in. How many would agree with me on that? If not, I'm going to take some extra money out of the offering. How many think we ought to abide by good business practices? That's how the church should function. We're in this world, not of it. And everywhere I go, people talk about vision. Everything I've heard talking about vision, a shared vision. But the problem is it usually is articulated this way. What is vision? Question will be asked in some form like this. What will the church like in the future if God's mission for the church is fulfilled? Now, I do believe that there is power in creating an attractive vision. To say five years from now, we're going to run 10,000 people. We'll have 50 campuses. We will be reaching around the world in new ways. I was part of a district vision planning session, and we, we brainstormed about all the things that could happen. Now, I believe that you do have to share vision for ministries to move forward, but I think there's more here to be considered than just what you and I think the future might look like. Because that's nothing more than a sanctified pipe dream. 
I could tell you anything this morning on what it's going to look like in five years, and it won't matter if I leave in four and a half. What is this whole idea biblically about a vision? What was Solomon telling us in Proverbs? So here's what I think we've got to refocus our attention on. Biblically, a vision is one form of divine communication to mankind. You don't find anywhere in Scripture vision being articulated as a group of people sitting around with sanctified imagination trying to determine what the future might look like. Every time you see the word vision, it's an expression of God to the people of God in regard to what he sees for the future. And I will guarantee you, it's much more important for a body of believers to see what God sees in the future than for you and I to share our ignorance and what we think the future might look like. Well, it's going to take a while this morning, so stay with me. I can see you're just on the edge of your seats. So let's talk for a moment about that, this idea of a shared vision, because I do believe it's key to resilience, and I do believe it's a biblical model for us to follow. And let me reemphasize, when I say it's a communication of God to people, there's a scripture that talks about the word of the Lord being precious in those days, and what it really means is there was no fresh revelation, and when there is no fresh revelation, the church then begins to operate by its own imagination rather than any sense of divine call. And what we don't need is another committee deciding what we should do in the future, or the board to decide, or the staff to decide. What do we need? We need a clear revelation from God as to why we're here, what we should be doing, and what direction we're heading. Can anybody agree with that this morning? We need a clear revelation from God because I do believe that while God has an individual word for you from him, I also believe that every time we gather, God has a corporate word that he wants to communicate to his body as a whole. Now, if we talk about first the power of vision, according to Merriam-Webster, vision is the actor power of imagination. When you apply a vision to the future, you can create a mental picture that can be used to direct your actions. Seeing the future in a positive and compelling light. What's your vision is commonly asked of leaders. I've sat in meetings where we've asked superintendents, what's your vision? District leaders, church leaders, what's your vision? And this week I felt like God worked me all over. I frankly no longer care what your vision is or what my vision is. I want to know what God sees that we don't see. Given trials and tribulations that come up without a clear vision of what will happen, you'll make horrible decisions. And I do think when we talk about the power of vision, just as a concept, this article on vision casting suggested that vision is vital to success. So I want you to listen to the things they recommend or suggest that vision will help us with and then see it in a positive way that vision will help you overcome roadblocks and hurdles. If you know where you're going, you'll be able to overcome what gets in your way. It'll substantiate your goals. When you have a vision, you can align your goals with how you're gonna get there. It sets expectations, defining measurements of success. 
It adds focus with the direction ahead, and last, it delivers meaning and purpose to answer the why of life. And there is no question that successful people in our world, in the business world, understand the power of vision. They understand that and understand goal setting and steps to get there. One of the great flaws of the church today is a corporate flaw. It's not a flaw with God. It's that we can have a goal or a vision in mind and never take steps to get there. And so it provides a format or a structure for us to accomplish God's purpose. And I'm firmly committed to the power of vision. Someone said this about vision. A city is not gauged by its length or width, but by the broadness of its vision and the height of its dreams. That's really good. Good business leaders create a vision, articulate the vision, passionately own the vision, and relentlessly drive it to completion. The very essence of leadership is that you have to have vision. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet, and the scripture talks about that. So I want you to see that vision being a word from God for us, vision becomes essential to our moving forward. Otherwise, we run to our own destruction. Here's what happens when you don't have vision. What does that verse mean? Without a vision, the people perish. That means they run amok. <laughs> one, uh, one year with boys, I was doing some teaching on the importance of knowing what God wants you to do. And I lined three of them up and said, we're gonna have a race. So I drew a starting line and I said, I'm gonna time you, you have 60 seconds and we're gonna let you run and I'm gonna honor the winner. And so I said, on your mark, get set, go! and nobody moved. Why would no one move? Because I hadn't set a course for them or a finish line. You can't run if you don't know where the finish line is. You can run in circles. One of the kids thought, well, I don't know, I'm just gonna run. So he's running in circles, one's just standing there and one runs to the wall. They all picked their own destination, their own interpretation of that. And then we had to explain that without a goal in mind, you're running in circles. That's what this verse means. Without a vision from God, a word from God, people run amok, they run askew, they run to their own destruction. And churches can't function, how many know we we can't function with 500 different ideas of what the church should be and where it should go. There's one unifying focus that will give us resilience, and that's when we corporately have heard from God and we share that vision. And when we share that vision together, we will accomplish great things for the kingdom because He will direct our steps. Vision is a powerful thing if you understand it as coming from God. But the problem is just that with vision. Where does it come from? I remember recently sitting in a meeting where they said, set goals that are too big for you to accomplish without God. Now here's what I think about that. That's ignorant. In fact, we talked, didn't we talk last week about generosity? And that generosity involves counting the cost? And when you make a pledge financially that you know you can't meet, I don't believe that's God-honoring. I believe that a God-honoring generosity means that you give what you intended to hold for yourself. But you know you have the ability. Come on, someone help me this morning. And I think the same thing about vision. We, when, we, we sat, when we sit in a group and just say, make your vision so big that you can't do it, that is not what Scripture says. Scripture says, 
If a man's going to build a building, what should he do? He should count the cost and see if he has sufficient to build it, lest they say, in mockery, look at him. He started to build a building and couldn't finish it. So vision isn't about it being beyond you. It's about believing that you've heard from God, and if God says to do it, and it comes from a divine source, then he will give us the ability for that to be accomplished. I know this is Father's Day, and dads, I'm talking to you specifically this morning as well as the whole body because you have a responsibility as the priest of your household to receive a word from God that will give direction to your family. Now, your wife can receive it as well, and it needs to be received corporately. I'm not saying that, but you don't have the freedom to sit back and say whatever happens, happens. You, dad, need to be hearing from God. Well, there's three. I said, you, dad, need to be hearing from God for your family and together sharing that with your wife as the two become one. And she may bring a word that you need to hear, but you cannot afford to be an idle bystander just apathetically letting life run its course. You need to be hearing from God. The church needs to be hearing from God. Corporately, we need to be hearing from God and following that divine direction. Vision is not imposing our desired future on the will of God. Vision is listening for the will of God and imposing it on our lifestyles. Do you ever hear the Tower of Babel? They had a vision. Oh, sure they did. Their vision was because the whole world was of one language and a common speech. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And here's what they said. Let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They had a vision. They had a goal. They're going to build a tower. They are united. It is powerful. But it wasn't God-ordained. God saw it. And he said, if as one people, listen to this, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. How many believe that God tells the truth? In the midst of the Tower of Babel, there's a secret for effective, resilient ministry. How much more so if as one people speaking the same language, they begun to do this and nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other and then they're scattered. Now, do you think they could have built a tower to heaven? No, but I think they'd have built one they believed went to heaven and God wasn't gonna let them be sidetracked by idolatry and stop that and scattered the nations because God is saying that when we're in a unified place, the power of God, can be released, but it's a revelation from him uh, in the upper room. When they were all in one accord, in one place, God's power fell. Why were they there? They did not gather together and say, hey, listen, Jesus is gone, and I think we need a time of prayer and a business meeting. So let's all gather together and fast and pray and seek God and see what will happen. That's not where that plan came from. Jesus gathered together with them 
them and said, do not depart from Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, until you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Do not leave. And they gathered together in obedience to a divine vision rather than in obedience to a collaborative vision. So I'm calling you to wake up spiritually. I'm calling you to engage that the vision God has for us cannot be owned by the staff. The vision God has for us cannot be owned by the board. It cannot be owned by a small group of volunteers. It's a vision that has to be owned corporately and we have an obligation to do that when we've heard what God says we need to accomplish in this world. Come on, church. This will help us. A shared vision. But we have vision problems. You can outlive a vision. You can hold to it longer than God intended for it to be held to. You can... um, Find a compelling vision of human origin. And an expired vision will block the way to a new vision. So I'm going to talk to us for a minute. Can I? Now I said all that because I just want to chat for a while. Oh, I got time. I'm going to talk about New Life Center. And New Life Center, welcome. Glad you're here with us. They'll be joining us online. And all of you that are online, uh, this is for you too. And in the chapel, glad you're everyone online. Glad you're all here. We love everybody. Glad you're all here. How did New Life, yeah, that's right, give them a round of applause, that'd be great. How did New Life Center start? It started with a vision. A woman named Helen Martin, in the time of the Jesus Revolution, had a vision of a place where drug addicts and prostitutes and pimps could all come together and be delivered and discipled in the faith And she wanted to own a block that they could all do life together. And you know what happened? That with a a, a single lady, daughter, leading this ministry, they bought an entire block in Des Moines. They bought a 140-acre farm, something like that, where they could have camps. And I can tell you, people all over the country that were reached for Christ because a woman had a vision that was bought corporately and they all engaged in that. But how many of you know the Jesus revolution is over? Well, if you didn't, it's over. (laughs) Those days are gone. The generations have changed. And they could continue, New Life Center, you can continue to pursue Helen Martin's vision. But that vision died and you're trying to outlive it. How many are hearing what I'm saying? So then a new pastor came. Jabelle Crawford, good friend of mine with a new vision. New vision for New Life Center in the heart of the city. The heart of the church was to do a a, a dream center and foster care and reach broken families. And they worked hard at that and they began to develop that. But the culture in the community is changing and that vision has died. Because no longer... The place it once was, the city is designed for gentrification and the whole neighborhood is changing and they need a fresh vision from God. Hello? New Life Center will not prosper 
chasing Helen Martin's vision. New Life Center will not prosper chasing Jamel Crawford's vision. New Life Center will only respond positively if they get a fresh vision from God. And that's why we've come alongside them to help them. We need a fresh vision. We need to have God tell us what we're doing, what direction we should go. And I've shared this numerous times when we're in a staff meeting and felt like God dropped in our hearts as a team. And we talk about it all the time, that God's called us to extend hope and wholeness in a broken world. We're to extend hope and wholeness. But a few years ago, shared it with the board and with the staff that we wanted to expand that vision that not only do we want to extend hope and wholeness, but God put on our hearts to reach families and to be a place where families learn how to interact again. That in a divided, segmented, digital generation where people don't know how to interact anymore. Let's show them how families can have fun and what the redemptive power of Jesus can do to make the home strong. And we made a course correction to do that very thing. And I'll tell you why. We don't have a train because it's cool, though it is. We have a train to fulfill a vision. And every day we go along the way, we need a vision from God. You need a vision for your family. Come on. You need a shared vision for your family. Who are you? What is God calling you to do? Don't outlive it. Don't hold to the past. Don't claim a previous generation's vision. Get a vision that comes from God. So what is the purpose? That's my introduction. What's the purpose of vision? Three things I want you to see as the purpose of vision. Vision comes to bring new direction. There are times that we need a fresh vision and a new direction. In Acts chapter 16, how many of you believe that the apostle Paul was a man of God? <laughs> how, many of you believe, how many know who the apostle Paul is? That's not a guy in Los Angeles. That's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is trying to fulfill the will of God and fulfill his calling. And every door he knocks on, it says the Spirit stopped him. The doors were closed. How many of you have lived in a place where everything you tried seemed to fail? That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. That means that God is directing you. And he comes to a place where I tried this, it didn't work. And I tried this and it didn't work. And I tried this and it didn't work. And after a while, if you try enough uh, closed doors, maybe it's time to say, God, are you trying to say something to me? He's given up. He's at the coast of the, of the sea. Nowhere else to go. What do I do? And in the night, he had a dream, a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Paul says, knowing assuredly that God had called us to Macedonia, we set sail. And there he didn't find a man. He found a group of women that had gathered to prayer, but he knew that God had given a new direction for Paul's ministry. He was to take the gospel to Europe. He'd come to the end of his resources. His vision for that part of the world was dead. Those doors were closing because God wanted him to go in a new direction to a new place and do a new thing. And how many of you are glad that 
the gospel went to Europe and didn't stay in the Middle East. We're recipients of that blessing today as it came to our part of the world with, uh, in other generations. But I'm saying to you that there are times that God might say it's time to do something new and different and we will do that if we get a fresh revelation from God. We've endured some fresh revelations. You see, I've said this before. I'm going to do it again to meddle with you because I think there's something God might birth here that we might not want to do. I don't know what that is, but let me put it this way. How many remember when you couldn't eat food other than communion in the auditorium? How many remember that? It was a sanctuary. Why do we not call this a sanctuary anymore? Because it isn't. You are. You are the sanctuary. And we wanted to do an outreach, and I was told that you can't do a banquet in this space. And I felt like a new day had dawned. You see, there was a time when that was the culture of the world and of the community, and it was understood differently. But our best sound equipment, our best space, our best everything's in this room. Doesn't make sense if we're going to reach the lost, that we need to be able to use this space and start having events in here that evolve food. And it wasn't because we had the best space. It's because there was a revelation from God. I want you to use this to reach lost people. Is anybody hearing me right now? There are days that we need to be open. You see, we get stuck in a place of knocking on these doors that don't open and keep doing the same thing and do it again and again and again and wonder why nothing's happening and maybe it is that God wants us to do a new thing. I'm so glad for where we are. The churches we planted, the the growth God's given us after COVID, the blessing that he's been on our lives. And it'd be really easy to sit back and say, let's just enjoy this. But I think there's something stirring in my heart and I hope in yours as well this morning that God, what's the next chapter? What's the next dimension? What's the new thing you wanna do? We wanna hear from you. And if it's new direction, then let us hear that and obey that. I could give you some examples, but you're not ready. And it'd be made up. Times of new direction. Oh, this is a good one. God will bring times of new correction. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is on a rooftop and he's having a drink. He's, he's in a trance. He's waiting before God, a time of prayer. And in the prayer, a sheet comes down full of unclean things. Now you need to stay with me here. Full of unclean things and Jews value dietary laws. It's what identified them as separate from the heathen. It was a huge deal to them. They would die as a martyr before they'd violate their dietary laws. And God says, Peter, get up, kill what's in the sheet and eat it. Not so, Lord, nothing unclean has ever come in my mouth. And it disappeared. Then it came back the second time with the same message. And then it disappeared. Then it came back a third time with the same message. And God spoke to him, don't ever call what I have cleansed unclean. He didn't know what that was about. 
But about that same time, God's working on the other end. And some men come from Cornelius' house, who was a God-fearer, didn't know about faith in Jesus, but wanted to know the true God. And they'd heard about Peter. They send some men. They find him. And when he goes there to preach to them the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Because it was a time of a new correction of ministry. I think there's some things here God might want to correct. How does that correction come? When you get a fresh vision. A fresh vision of God's ministry and calling. Through a vision, he can give you new direction. Through a vision, he can give you a new correction. And third, through a vision, he can bring to you a new dimension. Some of you need a new dimension in your relationship to God. I'm not satisfied with what we've seen God do by his spirit in this place. I believe he wants us to go deeper. I believe he wants you to go deeper in relationship to him. The book of Ezekiel starts with this. How did God call Ezekiel? He said, I was by the river Kibar, and there I had visions of God. Visions of the future came later, but he had visions of God, and it changed his life because he saw God in a new and living way, and God placed a call on him for service. Do you know that Isaiah begins prophesying in Isaiah chapter 1? But when we get to Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 1 tells us that he prophesied under the reign of Uzziah. But when we come to chapter 6 and King Uzziah doesn't end well, though he's a great king, dies. And it was in the year that Uzziah dies that he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train, his glory filled the temple. And God called him to a new dimension of ministry, a new experience in his relationship to God. But it came as a call from God, a revelation of God. What would happen if, as John the Revelator, we were in the Spirit on the Lord's day and we heard him and saw him and it moved from just a a, a cerebral response to truth and it became a spiritual compulsion to move in the Spirit of God? What might happen if we'd have a vision that moved us to a new dimension. Who he is and how he can empower. A resilient church will have a shared vision around the person of Jesus Christ. Out of this revelation, ministry vision will come and it has to come from God. So a shared vision isn't a gathering around a imagined preferred future, but it's rather a gathering around a divine calling. God has a personal word for you this morning, but he also has a corporate word for us. And daddy's got a word for your family. Mom, he's got a word for your family. My basic call to you this morning is, that we would surrender ourselves to God in such a way that we'd receive a vision, a fresh vision, a fresh word. And if we share that together, all of a sudden, it's not about your preferences or mine. It's how can we more effectively reach people for the kingdom of God? Are we open to that? Then we have to be listening. The call in scripture is he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. 
He didn't say what the Spirit says to the individuals. That's between you and God. But how many churches have become deaf to the voice of God corporately because they're satisfied with where they are? God, what do you have for us? What do you want us to do? I believe there's much, much more that we could do for the kingdom if we joined that together. If we would take this whole concept of extending hope and wholeness seriously, what might happen if we really took it together seriously, that we want to be a place where singles can find friends, couples can find fulfillment, or families have fun. Do you know? I need to think about this a minute. I'll be right back. <laughs> you better come to the keyboard. I'm going to need your help in about a minute. If we really believed that, we'd all be in a community group. If we really believed that, no one would ever ask me again, when are we going back to Wednesday night classes? <laughs> we want to join back in a vision that has expired. And I'm just telling you, <laughs> you push, where's Pastor Kevin? Am I telling the truth? He's not with me yet. You push and push and push and push for a minimum of response. What's the vision for connect groups? That men, women, boys, and girls would find Jesus. That there'd be miracles of healings in connect groups. That there'd be missions endeavors that reach out from there. That if we're gonna reach the cities around us, we're not gonna do it by simply inviting people to gather with us on Sunday. We've got to go out where people are and invite them to our homes and sharing life together. My sister visited from Maine this past week and we had a bunch of ideas of things that we could do that were fun. And I found it fascinating. She hadn't been here in several years and she said, we want to see what life is like for you. We just wanna do life with you for a few days. That resonated in me in a whole different way. I believe there are a lot of people out there that have been away from God for years that are afraid and uncertain, but they'd like a chance to do life with you. Come on. I grew up in a generation when it was, you better believe, and then when you become, you can belong. But that model has to change. People wanna belong before they're ever gonna to begin to believe. That requires a shift in us. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Connect groups aren't just another program we're doing. It's key to the next level. I mean, what? I see churches being planted at a greater rate in the future. What if that were to happen out of our connect groups? God, we'll begin to grow one and we plant one in Carlisle. We'd plant one in Ankeny. We'd plant one in Urbandale. We'd plant one in South Des Moines. We'd plant one in the city. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Nobody, okay. I'm saying to you, 
I believe God has a vision for us and we need to share that. And it can't be to be sustainable and comfortable. There's an edge to the vision that will cause us to do something we've never done before. I wanna be part of that. I wanna hear from him. And the way we used to do church is gone. It's gone. It's a new day. And let's engage it for the kingdom. Hello? Would you stand with me? Just ask God to speak to us corporately, that we would hear his voice and we'd obey what he has to say.
God's blessing in the present can often be the biggest hindrance for receiving God's blessing in the future. We can become comfortable with today. And I'm comfortable with today. And I don't have a new vision to share. I'm just saying, could we be ready and listening for what he might say next? What might he say next? And dads, be listening to God for your family. Be in harmony with your spouse. Share those revelations together. And as one flesh, lead your household. Wherever you are in whatever relationship you're in, God has a vision for you. And we need to hear that. My goal this morning is to simply loosen us up a little bit and listen for what God will have to say. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day, dads. We love you. God bless you. And again, if you don't like the cookie, just return it to the office. God bless.